Hello, I'm Damien Edwardson, one half of Art92 and the creator of the sci-fi wrestling comic, The Galaxy Grappling Alliance. And welcome to Oh Men To That, a chip-free podcast series where I talk to a selection of hand-picked guests on a diverse range of topics centred in and around the world of art, comics and all things creative. Before we begin, I just want to say another huge thanks to all those who backed our recent Kickstarter campaign and helped make the Galaxy Grappling Alliance Solar Slam a reality. I've said it before, but I really want to say again, we genuinely appreciate your support. And on today's show, we'll be looking at the subject of writing comics, a critical part of the comic creative process, because as we all know as readers, it doesn't matter how amazing the company art may be, if the writing isn't up to scratch, it can be a real slog to get through those 20 or so pages. So my guests will shine a light on the process of writing, how they're able to ensure that a story not only works in a written form, but also in the sequential storytelling of a comic, as well as their influences and examples of where comics can go really right and really wrong. Unfortunately, we had some technical issues recording the show. Hopefully that won't spoil your enjoyment too much. And as ever, I just want to warn you, there will be some adult language and humour included. So open up a blank page and get ready to make copious notes as we discuss the art of writing comics. So once again, I'm very pleased to be joined by two great guests, both with vast experience of not only writing sequential comics, but also novels. My first guest is the founder of Hardline Comics. He's the mastermind behind such titles as The Guys, The Claw, the incredibly popular and original Mahoney's. In addition to that, he's also the author of the critically acclaimed novel of Hearts and Hitmen, a story of a troubled hitman leading a double life. I'm pleased to welcome to the show, Rich Carrington. Hello, how are you? Hi, Rich. You okay, mate? Yeah, good, thank you. Thanks for having me. No, oh, thank you for making the time. I know it's uh, it's weird, but considering we have more time, we probably have less time than we normally used to have, so a bit of a well, weird uh, one, isn't it? I've got two little kids. I mean, time is just a sort of relative factor, really. It doesn't... <laughs> it's a concept. <laughs> it's a concept, <laughs> And uh, also joining us today is another highly respected writer and author, He's written for titles such as Sector 13, Future Quake and 2000 AD. He's also the author of several books such as Dead Fast, The Mog Princess and The Generous Dead. And if that wasn't enough, he's soon to be featured in issue 300 of Heavy Metal. So it's a big hello to Mark McCann. Oh, thank you very much. It's a, a real pleasure to be here. And <laughs> you must have did some digging to find my uh, original novels. I, um, I'm really <laughs> gobsmacked. I, I actually for, forgot I'd written those because it's been so long ago. But man, that's that's some seriously good nostalgia. It, it's a real pleasure to be here tonight. Thank you for having me on. No, thank you. I think I think one of them dates back to is it 2014, possibly, Got maybe it. even earlier. Do you know what? Yeah. yeah I mean, I, I before I started into comics, um, originally I was going to try and write scripts. And what happened? Right. Was my, my girlfriend at the time said I read her one of my scripts, and she said that's crap. Why don't you try it as a book? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, I tried it as a book, and lo and behold, I got a bit of publicity at the time, but, uh, you know, I, I, I loved writing those, and it was a great experience, and that's what essentially led me to, uh, lead me to comics later on. Right? Yeah. I'm guessing oh, it's an ex-girlfriend, no. <laughs> It is, although we're still friends. We're still friends. Uh, she's, she's agent. You know, 
<laughs> yeah, she 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 got it she got over it eventually, you know. <laughs> yeah. Brilliant. Thanks both for as I say, making time to come on and, and I hope you both safe and well. Um obviously yeah. bit bit of an odd time for everyone. Um we should be in the thick That's of fun. con season. And um yeah. you know, instead we <laughs> we we keep looking at I don't know about you guys, but I keep seeing all these panels and thinking, Well that's interesting, then I forget about them until the next yeah. day. <laughs> it's like, you know, it's, yeah. it's not quite the same, is it? I, 100%. There's been a lot happened recently, and I have missed it. I've been catching it on Friends' timeline. I'll, I'll sort of catch up listening to it maybe a couple of days later, but there's a lot of stuff that came out, SDCC stuff and MV stuff, and I've completely missed it, so I need to catch up. Yeah. So, I mean, just as a way of an introduction to, to people listening, um, I'm going to ask you both just to talk a little bit about yourselves and how you actually got into writing, both in general, as you've both written, um, you know, longer form stuff, and and also what made you go into comics. So if we start with you, Rich, do you want to just give us a yeah. bit of an idea of your background? Um, yeah, I think, I, to be honest, writing is about the only thing I've ever really been good at because it's sort of like the only thing I've really been into as well. I sort of, I, I haven't got sort of hobbies. I don't, I don't, you know, play golf or anything like that. It's just writing's about the only thing I've ever enjoyed doing. And uh, I think it, I, I don't know if it sounds too wanky or anything, but it's like, I, I feel it's something that I've got to do. Like, if mm-hmm. you don't write for a week or so, you just, I start going a bit mental. You know, it's, yeah. it's, I just need to get ideas down on paper and, and get a real buzz off writing and, if if I was if I wasn't writing if I wasn't doing comics or books or anything I'd be going out in miles. So so for me it's it's not addiction's a bit too strong a word. Do you know what I mean? But it's like mm-hmm. it's just something that I've got to do because it gives me it scratches that creative itch that that nothing else does really. So I've always written I think and it's it's only I'd say about five six years ago I started writing comics. Um, and I think I was so into comics and still am that the, it was sort of too close. Do you know what I mean? It was like, yeah. if I'm going to write, I might, well, I might as well do a novel or prose or whatever. Because um, I love comics so much, but I don't want to write them. But then as soon as I started writing them, it just clicked and thought, well, why have you waited this long? You love comics so much. You might as well, you know, start creating them and, and that's what I did and still do. And I, honest to God, man, it's just, I love it so much. I can't think of anything else I'd rather do. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's very similar to myself on, on the art side that, that, you know, if I don't, if I don't draw or yeah. paint or whatever, I start getting a twitch. I get quite grumpy actually that, yeah, that I've, yeah. not, I've not done it. And it's weird, you know, and there's times when you can't do it because you've got, you know, other things that you have to do and work and stuff. And I, I do find myself getting a bit kind of um down you know and it, it's yeah. amazing how doing that yeah. creative process can can really help you kind of mentally as well you know take you away because all you concentrate on is is the work that you're doing so i get exactly what you mean and and again similar with comics as well you know i mean i've, I've always loved comics from being a kid and um you know i, I trained to be a kind of um portrait artist and illustrator yeah. but i never never thought about doing comics other than when I was a kid I used to but as I grew up I thought you know I don't don't really want to do comics because I just didn't I think I was so in awe of them that I didn't think I could do it 
Uh, I mean, some yeah. might argue I still can't, <laughs> but you know, no, but no, it's, it's one of those. That, yeah, yeah. I always, I always viewed it as something that you know, you you, you revere them so much, and you put you put comics and writers and artists on a pedestal. You think, who am I to come along and, and have a go myself? And yeah. I did that for yeah. such a long time. You, you sort of, as you say, you, you're so in love with the, the medium. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's sort of sacrosanct or whatever the word is. Yeah. But you know, it's like it's untouchable. But then I could kick myself because I wish I'd started an awful lot earlier. But, you know. A lot, a lot of what you're yeah. saying. Yeah. yeah. A of, I mean, a lot of what you're saying resonates entirely with me. You know, I, I, I feel the same way about a lot of that. And how about you then, Mark? What was your journey into into writing then? Um, well, you know, it's it's, it's funny. It's similar. Um, Rich was saying about you know you feel the compulsion to do it. I don't want to. I'll, I'll try and make this short because my uh, creative journey is all over the place. But um, I originally, way back when I was a kid, I always wrote and drew things. Right. And uh, I guess I wanted to be a comic book artist more than anything because whenever I was a kid, I came across. I think some of the earliest stuff I ever read was. The bingo and the dandy and things like that, and then it evolved into, you know, two sides meeting, and Ninja Turtles were big at the time as well. So I, I, you know, Transformers, a lot of stuff like that. So um, I uh, enjoyed it, and like uh, Rich says, I loved the medium. Uh, I venerated it, and for a while, I wanted to be a comic book artist. But what happened was, I had a very how would you say? I was very bullheaded when I was younger, and my art teacher uh, was similarly uh, bullheaded, and we had very differing ideas of how to go about art. So, uh, for A level art, I dropped out. We had a massive, you know, riot. I was like, I'm not going to do things your way. I wanted to draw comics, you know. And uh, yeah. she, she, she was like, this is, this is shit. You're not doing this, you know. And mm. Ryan will probably, he'll tell you he had a similar experience at art college. He did, yeah, when he was uh, on the show, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, you know, my, my, I came down to it and I was like, well, fuck you. I'm not, you know, I'm not going to budge on this. So I mm. walked away from the arts and it was actually, I did a lot of stuff in my 20s. I worked a lot of jobs. Uh, I worked in, um, I went traveling after I studied. And then I came back and I went to, uh, worked in administration, worked in, you know, call centers, all sorts of places like this. And I worked right. as a doorman. So I had a load of different jobs. And, uh, but I always had that creative itch that wasn't getting scratched. And I was completely dissatisfied. So I would write film reviews and things like that. But I never really got into writing until I must have been about 27. And I went, fuck it. You know, I want to actually try and write something here. Yeah. Uh, and it was a lot to do with, I was reading uh, detective novels by guys like James Crumley. And I remember thinking, I could do this, and what if I sat it in Belfast? It was always Mike Carey as well was a big influence, because he wrote the Felix Caster books, and I thought, I want to write a supernatural, you know, horror story. That's where Dead Fast mm. came from, you know, I want to write mm. this thriller set in Belfast. So it's very rough. When I wrote it back out at night, it's rough as a badger's arse, you know what I mean? But it, it allowed <laughs> me to get the stuff out. And then it was a chance meeting years later, when I'd been... Plugging away, uh, I'd had, you know, uh, I'd been derailed by work and I found myself back on the writing path again because my, my, uh, partner at the time, she's now my wife, um, she was saying, you know, you're a writer who doesn't write, you know, you're, 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 you're talking about it, you've done things in the past, but you haven't written anything. And I just so happened to be at a bar and I met Glenn Fabry who, you know, assured me while pished that he would do, <laughs> uh, do a future shock for me, which he didn't do. 
Uh, and that led me to meet Ryan Brown, who was going to do the, you know, a, a, a story for me, and he didn't yeah. do it either. But I knew <laughs> Ryan from ten years back, and so was, all this stuff started moving, started hanging around, talking about comics, talking about getting into comics, and that's how I ended up yeah. into the comics. You know what I mean? So I hope that wasn't too long winded. No, not so. No, 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 not so. I mean, it's fascinating because. Again, um, similar story to myself where, I mean, I've, I've spoken on a few shows about, you know, I went to art college and to be honest, mm-hmm. it was a complete waste of time. You know, 100%. they, they, all they made me do was really hate art. Um, yeah. you know, it was, it's terrible and I hope it's changed. I mean, I hope that, you know, the, the courses are different now, but I mean, when, when I was in, in art college, um, they actually, you know, they wouldn't wipe their asses on comics. Yeah, um, yeah, it was yeah, appalling, sure. you know. They, they, the minute you said that's what you wanted to do, they just wanted to mm-hmm. get into graphic design and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah. It, it really put me off. And I was, I was also, I was saying to Ryan the other week that, um, you know, we they taught us to do a color wheel, but they didn't teach us how to use it. We just did a color yeah. wheel, and then that yeah. was it. And you're like, well, what was the point of that? You know. I was just wondering, like, where where that snobbery comes from towards comic art, like. Where, why is it established that comic art is some sort of lower rung of the artistic ladder? Do you know what I mean? I think people were brought up to believe that. The, because comics, obviously, as we know, were dispensable. You know, that was the yeah. point of them. They were in immediate, you know, the fact that everybody buys them now and puts them in a plastic tomb and has them graded, you know, which is, I don't even yeah. want to start about yeah. that. But um, it was dispensable. And I think some people, because... It, there was a little bit of ignorance there as well, but because they didn't understand or treat comics writing and comics art as art, you know, they're both genuine arts. They just I dismissed think, yeah, it. You fit the nail there, you know. Um, I I, uh, I don't know if you've ever read about William Moulton Marston. He was the guy who uh, created Wonder Woman. Uh, so anyway, there was a movie out recently, but it sort of touched on it. And um, anyway, what he was doing, he wanted to write this. You know, emancipated woman in that particular period because he was, you mm. know, Marston was a bit of a, he, he had, um, how would you say, adventurous sexual proclivities and he wanted to write comics about <laughs> that and get away with it, you know what I mean? But anyway, long story short, there was a guy who was around in the same period, a guy called Frederick Wortham, and he wrote that book, The Introduction yeah, yeah. of the Innocent, you know? Yeah. And that, that is in, in, ingrained in a lot of people's mind still that yeah. comics are not only a waste of time but they corrupt the brains of young people do you know what I mean so there's so yeah. you know there's book burnings in the street all sorts of stuff and I think there's a legacy of that you know okay. yeah yeah. I think the vast majority of, of comic art is superhero stuff isn't it so maybe yeah. maybe that snobbery that people have got towards comics is because they're not seeing the sort of anatomy work that some of the artistic greats are doing they're just seeing capes and, and, you know, underpants on the outside kind of thing. Yeah. Because yeah. yeah. you're saying about art college, and, and you say, Mark, as well, about wanting to be an artist first. I, I, I wanted to be an artist, but I'm not, I'm not great. I'm passable, but I'm not great. Yeah. And yeah. I remember um, doing my A-levels, and you have to do this big final uh, artistic piece. And at the time, Jack Kirby just died. And it, it really sort of hit, hit me hard. I was like, oh, jeez, man, Jack Kirby's got on. And, um, so I, I wanted to do this. I did this picture of the Hulk holding a big uh, platform with all the heroes that Jack Kirby created on it. And my art teacher, a guy called Peter Fisher, massive twat, 
He said, um, <laughs> "Hello, Peter. <laughs> Hello, Peter. I hope you're listening, you prick." Um, <laughs> he, he, he was just we, we argued all constantly because he, he wanted me to draw like flowers and bowls of fruit and all this stuff. I was like, "I'm not, I'm not fussed about that, Mister Fisher." Um, I want to draw superheroes, and he was so snobbish, and he, he tried to put me off it and all the rest of it. But in the end, I got the I got the last laugh because I got an E in A level art. So who's laughing now, Mister Fisher? <laughs> 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 <Well>, the, great... <laughs> the, the great irony with with my old art college is that um, when I was there at the time, that was when things like uh, Dave McKean's Arkham Asylum, things like that, started oh, yeah. to hit. You know, you know when yeah. graphic novels yeah. weren't comics. You know, yeah. they were they weren't they mm. definitely weren't comics according to game people. Change, game changing yep. stuff that and, you know. And ironically that that um that college became one of the first to run uh, a course in graphic novel like writing and art design. Oh, it was like right. it, was, it was a couple of years after I got I always remember reading it in the paper oh. thinking, Cheeky bastards. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it you was the what? same no. people teaching it, I'm yeah. thinking that's even Let more me. insulting. Let yeah. me tell you something. You see, see, see the people who have a snobbery about something. The minute there's a breakthrough in the genre or whatever, it's like all the people who uh, uh, raise their noses at uh, you know comic book stuff. Well, whenever Alex Ross started selling out art, art galleries, uh, suddenly mm-hmm. their chain changed. Suddenly, uh, you know, it was uh, it was held in a lot more reverence, and it was. You know, what what gets me is a lot of guys like Neil Adams or Barry Windsor Smith or the Cubers, these guys who were real craftsmen and, you know, for years and years and years pumped out beautiful work and they got overlooked. Yeah. And it's just that we're now in an era of, uh, you know, superheroics with, you know, the, the culture having, uh, you know, accepted the movies and video games and all that sort of stuff. So it's, it's more commonly accepted. But there was a lot of postmodernist snobbery about superheroes yeah. back in the day, man. You know? Um, yeah, it, absolutely. I'll never forgive them. <laughs> do, do you think part of it as well is that they just genuinely don't understand how difficult it is to create a comic, to either write a comic or to, to draw one or whatever, you know, oh. to letter it or call it? Do you think it's that lack of... If they had to do it, they'd realise that, you know, it is genuinely graft. You know, it's hard work. And I think, I think you're everyone right. can't do it. There's definitely some elements. Of, you know, it's, it's it's a lower art form, isn't it? And when you say comics, I would imagine most people, even now, will, will go to you know the Beano and the Dandy. What that's mm. what they think of as comics. But as we're saying about the superhero genre being so prevalent in the medium, I think it's like you never see. The Fast and Furious at the Oscars, do you know what I mean? It's like if all mm-hmm. films, or 99% of films were just, um, action sort of, you know, blockbustery type of action films, then as a medium, it would be like, well, I don't like films, but it's only that there's such a rich variety in, in film. You've got your comedies and dramas and all the rest of it that, you, that there's more room for, um, worthy films, do you know what I mean? I, I, yeah, yeah. Mm. that makes sense. But like, action films are big, but they're not the whole of cinema. So yeah, I, I just think superheroes are so big in comics um, that it, it just takes over everything. And when you say comics, people see superheroes; they don't see 
some Vertigo books or Image books or yeah. some of the non-superhero yeah. stuff. Yeah, very yeah, absolutely. And plus, you gotta you've got to bear in mind that uh, superheroes is a US UK phenomenon because if you go into yeah. Europe, Europe has a vast uh, you know uh, genres of uh, uh, science fiction, fantasy horror. Uh, you know, I recently picked up the uh, the Elric books uh, that yeah. came out of, uh, I can't remember what studio it was, but anyway, long story short, these guys are, are doing really innovative stuff, and so is Asia. You know, they've got, like, a, a genre for everybody, practically, but the U is nearly ruled by the capes, and the UK, yeah. to an extent, although it's more sci-fi fantasy with stuff like Dread, and, you know, yeah. books and things like that. Yeah. Yeah, no, fascinating stuff. Yeah. So, just going back to yourselves and, and your writing, then, um, and we'll start with you, Mark. Who inspired you? Um, I know you mentioned before a couple of writers, but in the world of comics, particularly, who who was the inspiration for you to to decide that you wanted to get into that? Uh, my my inspiration to get into comics. I mean, like I, I've been, I've been reading comics for a long time, and uh, I guess some of the writers that had major influences on me, uh, the early stuff, anyway. Um, I mean, you, you can't deny John Wagner, uh, because yeah. uh, Wagner's probably, I, I think he's one of the greatest living writers. Uh, Absolutely. Know, he's just, uh, dread as a character, uh, is, is dictated by him. And I also loved Alan Grant's Anderson, which is another yeah. one of my favorite characters of all time. I think he wrote uh, The Arc of a Life so beautifully and perfectly. And it was the Arthur Ranson collaborations that he did that really solidified that for me. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I love that stuff, uh, but later on in Vertigo, it would be guys like, um, I would love, uh, you know, Jimmy Delano's run on Hellblazer, uh, then Garth Ennis, and then everybody mm-hmm. who wrote Hellblazer I thought was good, like Paul Jenkins was probably my favorite run, uh, but Mike Carey afterwards, everybody on that run was great, so Hellblazer was a big influence. I love the Incredible Hulk books, uh, primarily under Peter Davis. And it would actually be later, I'd pass the point of popularity, I'd come back to Sandman and stuff, and it would, you know, it would be Neil Gaiman's, uh, novels more than Sandman that I would find my way into his, uh, right. style story. Uh, so I enjoyed his stuff, but you know, then later on you would have guys like, oh, I, I should mention, I skipped over him, Frank Miller. Whenever I came across the first Sin City, which, um, I'd read after reading his Daredevil Man Without Fear, it absolutely blew me away because it was, yeah. It wasn't just a hard-boiled noir story that was very, very terse and, uh, you know, uh, stark compared to what was coming out at the time, but it was the art style. It was the art. It was, it was, um, you know, he, he was doing something entirely outside of what I'd seen up to this point. So stuff yeah. like that compelled me to, uh, love comics. Uh, Garth Ennis' run on Preacher as well. She mentioned Garth Ennis. Yeah. I, I think that Preacher run. Uh, but the, the, you know, there's the stuff like that that made me love comics, but, uh, they actually pursue them. Uh, I didn't think I'd ever be writing in comics, if I'm honest. Uh, I, Richard mentioned it earlier. I, I, it was, it was this majestic art form that I thought was beyond me, and it wasn't until I actually met some, uh, comic book people, and they were like normal people. You know, you could, uh, yeah, if you yeah. submit, you know. Yeah. And I was like, what, really? This is, this is something a normal person like me can do? And they were like, yeah, yeah. That's right. the first con I went to, I'm not going to name names, but the first comic I picked up, it was absolute dog shit. And I just remember thinking, remember thinking if, you're, if you're that side of the table trying to sell me this book, then fucking hell, maybe, maybe I can do it. Uh, <laughs> you're right. Well, I've got, you're right. 
to be honest, Mark, I, I, I think you're my new best friend. Because <laughs> oh, every, every, everything that you've just mentioned there is... I've written some little notes about my favourite writers here. Yeah. The Wagner and Grant is just, to me, Strontium Dog. It, oh. the, the stuff they did on that is top draw. And, uh, you know, I love Dread, don't get me wrong, but the, the Strontium Dog stories, there's so many that just blew me away growing up. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, apart from um, sort of Wagner and Grant, then, Rich, um, some of the other names on that list, because I was nodding in agreement with all of them. And I think, I mean, I've joked about this, but that John Wagner is, for me, is probably, you know, the the greatest British writer that we've had in comics. And, And that's simply because if you look at the way you can plant those seeds of a dread story 43 years ago and yeah. then bring them back in, you know, yeah, at various yeah. points through the decades. And it's done in a way that, you know, if you if you get it, if you get the canon of it, you get it. And if you don't, it doesn't distract. How the hell he does that and weaves that all in is just the mark of someone who, who is oh, still now at the top of his game. I love Alan Grant. I mean, I think the stuff that Grant wrote in, in the Batman um, Runny yeah, Ad was, was fantastic as well. Oh, you know, I thought he really got that character, and you know, and and, and Frank Miller. I mean, I know it's a, it's a tricky one, Frank Miller, because a lot of people have that kind of marmite thing to Frank yeah. these days, don't they? But you can't deny that he's done some absolutely tremendous work. He really has. Yeah. You know, and Alan Moore's another one. I, you know, I think Frank Miller is somebody who, uh, in my opinion, I'm sure a lot of people would disagree, but he had his moment. And as you're saying then about somebody like Wagner, who's had a 40-plus year career and is still at the top of his game, I think Miller, yeah. I don't know, I think his, his heyday is behind him. Um, well, you know, that's just personal opinion. But like Mark was saying, yeah. other people on my list, Peter Davis, incredible Hulk, was just mm-hmm. phenomenal back in the day. Yeah. Um, and the Grey Hulk into the Dale Down stuff, Mm, and then yeah, Gary yeah. Frank through it and just beautiful oh, uh, that, that oh. was like always top of my repile of the, the Hulk um, but then Ennis as you say well he, he's my number one you say Preacher Preacher's phenomenal but for me the oh, Punisher yeah. Max is just the best comics yeah. of the last 20 years yeah. um, um, it's unbelievably good 
and it holds up to rereading so many times. It's just how you get a handle on a character like that is is it, it's almost like it's not that the character's ruined forevermore, but I think Ennis did such a good job on the Punisher in those sixty-five whatever issues. It's like you know, it's it's sort of the character's almost peaked for me. Do you know what I, I mean? I, I know exactly. I know exactly what you're saying because. It's funny, I've been reading his uh, follow-up series, The Platoon, and uh, yeah. I read, read the one recently. And the thing is that, you know, Ennis isn't just somebody who gets that character. He has clearly talked to soldiers, and he has a very, yeah. very deep interest in warfare. So he gets the yeah. mindset of somebody who would be the Punisher, and he applies it. So it's, it's, it's a researched role, you know, and he's developed it. And so, like, I, I've, you know, if, if you read his early stuff, you can tell he was having fun. He was always a good writer. But the Punisher stuff and his war uh, stories in particular, he, he yeah. clearly got done, done a, um, an immense amount of research. And mm. you feel every bit of it. And those later stories in particular are, are very uh, somber stories, you know? I mean, and, and yeah. that is, that's warfare, you know? Yeah. See, what, no, I, what he did, giving the Punisher a door, sir, which I think in any other writer would have just been like a gimmick, like a, sh- a yeah. shock thing. But the the realness of, of how Ennis wrote Frank reacting to when Barracuda's got his daughter, it's like, oh, I felt every single... Like, I was reading that and your heart was going faster. Yeah. And it takes some doing for a comic to make you, you sort of feel that sort of panic and, oh, so good, oh. so good. Oh, absolutely, 100%. And, and you know, just to... Uh you know, spoiler alert for anyone who hasn't read it, but it was like whenever in Preacher, uh, Cassidy uh, betrays uh, Jesse and he, and he takes yep. advantage of Tulip. I remember yeah. hating that character, being physically angry that this yeah. had happened. And I remember like thinking that, you know, if if he, he has managed to do this, evoke it through, you know, a series of speech bubbles and panels, that's powerful stuff. Yeah. Because, because Cassidy just ruined it. Yeah. For however many issues up to yeah. that point, you just love them and you love hanging yeah. out with them, and they were that, that gang of three, and mm-hmm. Cassidy just fucked it all up. It was like that. I was talking to um, John McRae last week, and yeah. we were talking about Hitman because I love, I love, I mean, oh, yeah. Preachers probably. I've, you know, I've said this before. It's probably my favourite um, series of comics that I've ever read. It just it means mm-hmm. a lot to me on both of both a personal oh, yeah. level and also on a creative level. I just think that. Yeah. You know, that, that triangle of Fabry, you know, Ennis and Dylan was just like, I don't think you could beat it, to be honest, for just getting it right. No, that's but, just sort of Yeah. But I love Hitman as well. And, and I was talking oh, yeah. about that issue 34, you know, with the Superman issue where yeah, they put the Eisner. And the way that, that Ennis humanizes Superman, you know, and he gives him all this doubt that, He's failed and he, he, you know, and he's up on the rooftop with, with Tommy and he's talking. It's just that alone is, if that isn't the sign of someone who can take what is, to be honest, quite often the two dimensional character in a lot of writers' hands, isn't it? Superman, you know, it's all yeah, very yeah. much, you know, the Boy Scout kind of image and, you know, he'll save the day and he completely turned that around and made him human. And, you know, it's funny because I used to love Superman as a kid. I mean, I've always been a Bat fan more than a Superman fan, but I used to love the, the kind of really, you know, late 70s, early 80s Superman. And then um, I kind of got a bit bored of him because he became a bit yeah. two-dimensional. 
And that was just, yeah. I remember reading that and I, I remember actually being quite upset because I just thought it was such a, a brilliantly written book that, you know, uh, that, that to me is it, like you were saying about the Cassidy thing. Somebody who can write that in a way that, that can then be translated. And we'll come on to this in a minute in a load of sequential panels. That's, yeah. that's been at the top of your game now. It's not luck, is don't, it? Don't you think that's kind of a UK thing to to approach heroes like Alan Moore did, like Ennis did, Morrison Miller, load of yeah. load of British writers. I think it's a very British thing to approach what, as you were saying earlier, Mark, like a, a a US genre of superheroes. I think it's British writers who have been brought up in this country with things like 2018, a little bit of punk and what have you, to just go to that superhero genre and just swipe the legs from under it. Yeah, still, still yeah. sort of. They haven't got the reverence, perhaps, that some American writers might have towards the heroes. You're entirely, you're entirely right. That's it's a couple of things, right? I mean, I think, uh, especially with the DC canon, those guys are archetypes. So, um, although they've got you know certain flaws built into them, I don't think anyone wanted to go really hard uh, into that stuff until. Yeah. The UK invasion, and the reason I think this is, and this is just this is just me, is the UK is a much more pragmatic. It's an older, you know, uh, nation, and the US, yeah. relatively speaking, is, is newer. And the US, up until recently, anyway, was you know, it has this massive positive idea of itself, and it always has mm. It's always been very, yeah. you know, uh, it focuses on the strengths, whereas the UK is more cynical and it focuses on the flaws, and so. Well, you had guys like Stanley who were prepared to take Peter Parker and make him a, make him a flawed individual. It wasn't really until, um, you know, guys like, um, Annis, Moore, uh, Peter Milligan with, like, she had the changing man, uh, all these, um, British writers went over and, and did something even more cynical with revered characters that that landscape yeah. started to change, you know? Yeah. I was just saying, like Mark said earlier about a character like Constantine, I yeah. don't think it would ever have been created by a non-Brit. I agree, totally. Yeah. No, that sort of the Serbic, I don't give a shit attitude, the darkness to it. Like you say, Stanley might have given us flawed heroes, but on this side of the pond, we do flawed heroes, but they're a bit grittier, they're a bit dingier, and a bit sort of less polished. Yeah, I mean, it, it, this is funny because, you know, if you look at uh, American pulp, if you look at U.S. pulp, it's full of heroes like that. It's, you know, you've got the, the Philip Marlowe, uh, type characters. You know, you've got the James Crumley, C.W. Sugar, and, um, you know, uh, Milo Maladragovich. These characters are, yeah. you know, they've got alcohol problems. They're fucked up. They're messes, you know, and, and that's what makes them interesting. So you would see it in the American pulp genre, but you would never see it in comics. And it's because comics had this sort of purity to it until the Brits came over and said, well, fuck all that. We're going to, we're going to mm-hmm. shake things up. And make you yeah. uncomfortable with what you thought you knew, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. So, yeah. I mean, do you think subconsciously that maybe some of those guys have influenced the way that you guys write or some of the topics that you've chosen to write? Yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, I mean, we're, we're all influenced by people, aren't we? I mean, if you, if anybody tells you they're not, then they're talking out there are, aren't they? Let's be honest. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, I mean, it's amazing because I, I always think with Mahoney's, it's, I, I mean, I love Mahoney's, as you know, and I, I, I was uh, rereading it the other week uh, before this. It just reminds me of um, Noonan's in Hitman, you know, like there was a bar in yeah, Hitman yeah, as well. Because yeah. that's yeah. the first time I, I can honestly say that I ever saw a bar 
there was like a character in a in a in a comic, you know. And I'm sure there are others, yeah. and I'll probably get told there are a million others. But for me, that's the one that resonates. And that's, I think that's one of the things I love about um, Mahoney's is that concept of, you know, this place where they can go and be themselves. In real life, would you rather hang around in Noonan's with Tommy and the boys, or would you rather go to Justice League headquarters and have fucking <laughs> Batman looking down his nose at you? And, you know, it's, 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 funny. it's funny because I, I, I think. There is a, a, another thing that came from, uh, you know, that British uh, invasion was there's sort of a more working class aesthetic. Uh, yeah. Uh, whereas, like you say, in DC, these characters are, are all archetypes. So Wonder Woman's a princess, Batman's a billionaire, you know, uh, Superman's an off-world alien. He's actually probably the closest you get to working class uh, in mm. the sense that he is... Uh, you know, he's created by immigrants, but he was also a, uh, you know, he's a, he, he's a Midwestern farm boy. So, you know, he's a reporter uh, and his civilian identity. So that's as close as you get to working class. But a lot of the other uh, archetypes were all, you know, they were all sort of already, uh, you know, uh, destined for greatness. Uh, it's just that something happened to put them on a different path, you know. Apart from Hal Jordan, who's just an arsehole most of the time. Yeah. <laughs> but I do like him. Yeah. Throwing all the Green Lantern fans start like, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I do like I mean, the character, but I like the fact that he was a bit of a bit of a dick, wasn't he? You know, when he was written well. It was like, 100%. That's what I always liked about Guy Gardner as well. He was a dick. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, I said Hal had better hair, didn't he? Let's be honest. Yeah. Well, <laughs> he didn't have that terrible cut. bowl cut that Guy yeah, Gardner had. As my dad had said, you get some soup with that bowl. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, I had that haircut in the nineties. Uh, uh, I'll take it back, Mark. I've seen you. You're a big lad. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to edit this out. <laughs> oh, brilliant stuff! No, it's interesting stuff though, because I do think that the Brits, you know, as, as much as we we downplay everything we do, I think. We, people shouldn't underestimate how important that British influence has been on comics. Oh, cause just yeah. 2000 yeah. AD alone. I mean, look at the roster of talent that's gone through there, and obviously oh, you're you're oh, really roster now. You know, well, we didn't have that, and we didn't have things like Warrior and Deadline. Oh yeah, and all these. Yeah. Other, I mean, I don't think yeah. I'm not aware that America had those equivalents, uh, particularly at the time. Um, no, I don't think. I think America had satire, so it had Mad Magazine and. Uh, yeah. You know, it, it had pulpy horror stuff, like, you know, creepy and eerie and all that sort of mm-hmm. under, co- well, I was going to say underground comics. They weren't really, they were, they were commercial, but, you know, it's just that they were frowned upon, I guess. Yeah. So, so you had all those types of comics, but you didn't have anything that was quite, uh, on the, as, as close to the vein as 2008 or Warrior Deadline. Um, uh, you know, there, there was a lot of stuff that, um, it was the political, um, how would you say, immediacy of what was happening mm. in the 80s. You know, it was, uh, they, those guys were going into the office and reading the tabloids and then writing it into the stories. You know what I mean? So. Yeah. Can you imagine doing that now with the fucking tabloids as they are at the minute? <laughs> well, you see, this, this is the thing because there, there would never be that degree of honesty. Uh, because, you know, I think in, in that, the, all those anti establishment. Uh, you know, writers and artists and stuff during the 80s, uh, they've, they've come through 
to a version of liberalism now that's kind of went even further off the deep end. So you've got mad conservatives and mad liberals. So I don't think there would ever be the degree of honesty to turn around and, and introspect and go, well, fuck, you know. <laughs> I don't think yeah. the other thing, I think everyone would read it and go, well, that's fucking far-fetched, isn't it? I don't believe that for me. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, I was reading yeah. today about the, what is it, the alien DNA and all this, not that the... I've seen it, like, you know, and I was thinking, what on earth is this? And when I read it, I just thought, I, I truly am in a coma, aren't I? I'm going to wake yeah, yeah. up in a minute. This can't well, be. You, you try writing a, a post apocalyptic fiction at the minute, you'd be like, well, that's just a fucking diary entry, that is. That's <laughs> yeah. <not Tuesday."> yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. Um, it's funny. Yeah, I, I actually was talking to a guy the other day, and uh, he, he very much, you know, well, I mean, I, I believe it to an extent, but. Uh, I, I do believe we're in a dystopia, but uh, it's just that we're very well catered to. Um, yeah. You know, we're in a dystopia yeah. where we can't moan about, uh, you know, yeah. having not having access to facilities or food or whatever. Yeah. But the totalitarianism uh, or the autocracy, or, uh, autocracy, bleh, excuse me, that is is, is going to be eventually running the show. I mean, you know, well, you that's can, it, man. We, we're in a comfortable apocalypse. Yeah. Yes. Once, once yep. the broadband drops out, we're fucked. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? That's what people yeah. take to the streets. <laughs> Do you know what i got to tell you? I think Black Mirror has done a great job of predicting, you know, oh. little, little horror shows of where we could go. Uh, I think yeah. it's, it's really on the pulse. It's like the best, it's, it's like a, a best of future shocks, you know? Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> if, if supermarkets shut down, I think it's something like it would take four days for people to just turn into fucking maniacs and cannibals and start robbing the neighbours. So it's it's oh, yeah. ridiculous, like yeah. a four-day window. Yeah, believe yeah. it. Believe it. Listen, I, yeah. you know, like I say, I used to, uh, I used to work in security. I used to do door security for years. And, you know, I know a lot of people who are idealistic and they think, oh, you know, people would never do that. And But what they're doing is they're applying it, their mindset which mm-hmm. is maybe, you know, a, a fairly calm and rational person to everybody else. And the thing is, everybody else isn't on your same fre- frequency, but So whenever the shit hits the fan, you're like, well, this is what I'm going to do. And it's calm and reasonable. And hopefully I won't hit that threshold where I have to go crazy. Whereas other people are starting at the crazy and they're just going to get worse. You know? Yeah. So, uh, yeah. you know, and you would see that on nights out all the time. You'd see somebody come in who was already fucked out of their brains. And I'd be like, how did that person get in the club? You yeah. know what I mean? And, yeah. and that would just escalate, you know? It's quite funny because whenever we watch, uh, whenever H and I watch anything that's kind of like, you know, post-apocalyptic and, you know, the, the marauders turn up mm. and don't give a shit for anyone, H always says, because it's exactly what it'd be like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, like the walking dishes, like, you know, Rick, Rick's very nice and all that, but he won't last five minutes because, <laughs> you know, these fuckers over here and have you, you know, I mean, <laughs> to, yeah. get, to yeah. get your ice cream or something. I mean, look at the bog roll debacle we had. Yep. Oh, 100%. 100%. <laughs> So well, if we if we pull this back round to <laughs> to the, the, the process that you'll be using to write your next uh, post-apocalyptic uh, masterpieces, guys, which you know I'm sure you'll just do an upbeat piece about everything being really great. Um, yeah. <laughs> without giving away any secrets, do you do you have a kind of standard process that that you follow, whether it's writing a script or writing a novel or whatever? You know, for example, the, the famous one with with Star Wars and, and everything else, which is like the hero's journey, you know, or some variation of. But I'll start with you, Rich. Do you, do you have a standard process or just an idea and then you'll grow it? Um, 
I think it's a tricky one because I teach um, media studies, and part right. of that with the sixth form, um, we do a lot of narrative theory. So, like you say, the hero's journey. There's a guy called Prop. Do you know him? Mm. Uh, Prop's Prop's morphology is basically the seven character types. You've got like the hero and the donor and the the villain and the false hero and all that sort of stuff. Um, but it, it's quite an interesting theory, really, because he, he he was like a Russian folklorist or something, and he he basically boiled down stories into their essence. And there's like if if you Google Prop P R O P, he sort of says it starts here, then this happens, then. The hero is sent on a quest and then get a helper and there's a, a princess to be rescued and all that sort of stuff. But I just find it a little bit overly prescriptive. And yeah. you can apply narrative theory to everything because when I introduce prop to the sixth form, we, we, we do look at Star Wars and you sort of, you know, you can apply the, the character stereotypes. But I think if you go down that route of looking at narrative theory and, and sort of, um, structuralism like um, there's another guy Todorov's equilibrium theory sort of everything's fine then something bad happens and then it gets sorted by the end is a very simplistic way of looking at it but I think mm. it, it, I find it limits me um, because it, it, it works for any story really but I think comics are such a, a specific thing I always write 22 pages um, so every issue of Mahoney's is 22 pages long and because because that's what I think comics that's the that's the length of your standard comic. So mm. within that, you, yes, you could have a beginning, a middle, and an end. But it's like I'm, I don't want to be tied to um, any sort of narrative structure. If that sounds makes me yeah, sound a bit yeah. too wacky, no, 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 I see like, what you mean. Yeah. What I think what's more important to me than anything is are, are there cool moments in it. And I'm not worried about, you know, the, the structure and the, the three, three, uh, three act structure and all this shit. It's like, it, it, are there, are there awesome moments in this book? Are there some really cool moments in this book? Yeah. And everything else, I think it, it, everything else falls into place around that because it is a visual medium and you've got to just think, what bits are you going to remember? If, if a, if a 15 year old kid is reading this comic, what are they going to remember? And it's not the structure. It's not how clever you can do callbacks to page two or anything. It's just, is it cool? Is it funny? Mm. Is it is it sort of visually appealing? And to be honest, I think the best comics you you can you can strip them back and you can look at how they're structured and analyze them like you know people like fucking books on Watchmen, don't they? Mm-hmm. I don't get me wrong. It's a great it's a great book. Yeah. But when I think about watching them, I sort of think that bit where Rorschach's in prison, that was a really cool bit. Mm. I'm not I'm not too blown away by, you know, all the wanky stuff. It's like, mm. is it cool? And and somebody like Tarantino's films, I, I think, is so refreshing and so different to anything you see at the cinema because cool is king, isn't it? And it's like, you know, it doesn't matter what the story is or what the characters are doing, all that fits in around is it is it fucking awesome to look at? Is it is there yeah. some really cool moments? That's sort of it. I mean, structurally, what I do is I'll thumbnail every page first, and I'll write number one to twenty-two on a black piece of paper, and I'll just sort of think like, what, where, where are my beats? What, what needs to happen in this issue? 
where do all the characters need to get to? But that's all just structural stuff, isn't it? And then after mm. that, I'll, I'll thumbnail. And they'll only really uh, stick them figures. But I can think, if I cannot squeeze seven panels on this page without it looking cramped, then an artist isn't going to be able to. So that needs to then flow on to the next page. So I, I just find laying it out with my own thumbnails helps me with the logistics of the story and yeah. how much dialogue I can fit into that panel and which character needs to be on the left and if there's a van mm. in the background, it needs to be in the background of the next panel. And then once I've done that, that's that's the hard bit. The easy bit is scripting for me because right. I just I basically just describe each of the pictures that I've drawn. But I don't go mad on panel descriptors either. I'm, I'm quite sort of um, paired back like Brian, who's the artist on the home, he's just a phenomenal artist, phenomenal guy. He yeah. just says that there's a simplicity to your panel descriptions that allows him to breathe as the artist and isn't so fucking prescriptive that he hasn't got any room to to, to be uh, free with things. But then it's um, everything that he needs to know is in the panel descriptor, so he's not scratching his head either. And yeah. I think, as I say, teaching media studies, a lot of what I do is I'm teaching kids like storyboards and you have to look at camera shots and establishing shots and mid shots and low angles and the effect of all these shots so I think approaching a script not as a story as a, a visual thing you know A I teach media studies and B I'm a frustrated artist it's, it's just sort of approaching it visually rather than expecting the artist to just take things from your panel descriptors and have to fill in 50, 60 yeah. blanks. So I think when I'm writing a script, it's all there. And I know it can be drawn because I've already done it on the thumbnail. I just need an artist who can do it way better, you know, a better picture than I can draw. But again, yeah. don't get me wrong, the artists who I work with, they all, they improve on it. And, you know, I'll, I'll write, maybe there's a close-up of a character talking just as they're delivering a line of exposition or something. And then the artist will just fucking come up with an angle or, or a, a sort of better version of what I'm written. And every single time I'll just bow to the artist and think, you got it. You're the visual guy. You know, that's a better, better version than what I've written. But yeah, that's, that's effectively my process. Yeah, it's interesting you say about the uh, the standout moments because I, I recently watched the um, the Todd McFarlane documentary that Sci-Fi have done. Oh, um, yeah. I think oh, it yeah, came yeah. out at the weekend. I managed to get a link to it um, from like NBC was saying if you want a link to this, but basically you can only get a link and a time code on it. And if you talked about it before they released it, I think they came around and chopped your head off or something like that. It was in the terms and conditions. It was actually really good. It's like it wasn't like really in depth, but it was good. It was a good piece. And he talks about his process in there, and he said exactly the same thing as you, Richard. He goes, you know, if I'm doing a book that's twenty twenty four pages, I want to make sure I've got maybe three or four things three or four either images or moments that will stand out that people will remember you know because they won't yeah, remember yeah. the 20 odd pages but i want them to go what about that bit what about you know and he, he tries yeah. to make sure that he has those those kind of um elements in there that you know stage through the book will be certain things that will will kind of speak to people and and yeah, that's, that's what he puts down to his success, really, with Spawn particularly, yeah. you know. So well, As you say, you know, you've only got that 20, 20-something 20 pages. Mm. So if you've written five pages of characters talking, 
you've got to be fucking mental in my mind. You know, you know, some, some, some of it works. But I don't, like Mahoney's issue, one of Mahoney's, there's no fight scenes in it. There's no, like, splash pages or double page spreads of any flashy fights. It's a load of people in a bar talking for the whole of issue one. Um, but I like to think it's not, it's not boring. It's just, no. I'm not saying that it has to be flashy fights and people getting thrown through buildings. It's just, are there some fucking cool moments? Or is yeah. it just a bit, mm, I've seen this before. I mean, McFarlane's a good example in a way because I don't want to run the guy down, but when he was writing, do you remember he took over and started writing Spider-Man? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Beautiful book to look at, but fucking hell. <laughs> you know, the guy can draw. The guy can draw. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. I don't think he was going to win many awards it, for his writing. I, it, I've not read Spawn, so I, don't, I can't speak for that. But, you know, it was a beautiful book to look at and flip through, but it was like, you know. Yeah. He talks about that. Yeah. He, he touches on that. And he touches on, on the state of Marvel at the time, basically, as yeah. well. So, you know, it's interesting. I w- I'd recommend definitely watching it when it comes out. It's, it's worth a watch, definitely. Did you mention me at all in the, in the documentary? <laughs> <laughs> like this guy, this British guy, <laughs> <laughs> the great article can't write this year. <laughs> Strangely enough, no. No, it doesn't. Unless no, that's, that's in right. the, like, there's a Snyder cut that'll be five hours long or something. <laughs> yeah. And I'm, I'm just hoping the embargo's gone. Otherwise, if I release this and, and you don't hear off me again, then NBC have come out and murdered me in my sleep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what about you, Mark? How's it, is, what's your process? Is it very similar? Uh, is it? I guess it. Yeah, I mean, I I know exactly what you're talking about, especially with regards. You've got to have a few standout moments in uh, every issue that you do, otherwise it it does become forgettable. Um, so I get my my actual method. It used to be very loose. Uh, you're you're. Uh, different people talking about they use different methods. Like, I mean, Stephen King was always famous for saying he did 3,000 words a day, but Anne Rice would say that, you know, whenever she tried it, she found that very limiting because sometimes you're just not in the mood to do it, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, um, it's different strokes for different folks and my my attitude towards writing whenever I started out was I'm just going to write this bit by bit or have a loose idea of what the plot is. Uh, but you know, my, back then, uh, my focus was always the characters, as, because as it turns out, my, uh, writing skills transfer better. I'm more of a character writer, you know what I mean? Right. I, yeah. I, but, um, I would later have a conversation with, uh, Uncle Pat Mills, uh, about writing. This is years later, and I, mm. I had a, well, I, I chatted to a couple of authors. Anytime I could meet an author and have a chat with them, and, get some input, uh, I did, but I had this conversation with Pat Mills and he said, uh, I said, you know, what, can you give me any tips on, you know, what, what would be, uh, the best way to write, blah, blah, blah. And he said, read Story by Robert, uh, McKee. And Story is a, uh, book about the art of the screenwriting, but it can be applied to novels, it can be applied to comics, whatever. And, uh, McKee had a structure. And he had a method, and it was sort of way outside of what I was used to, you know. Um, right. I, I, not something I normally would have went for at all, uh, seeing as how my style was much looser. But I developed it, I read the book, I worked out how to develop the structure, uh, you know, plot things out uh, much more tightly and succinctly. 
and I would do a lot of character work before I sat down and wrote it. Um, you'll hear things like George R. R. Martin doesn't plot too far in advance. He has like a basic structure, and then he allows things to develop. Whereas right. in the Keys version, you do, um, you know, you you you, you do a uh, story uh, story structure. You have everything tightly plotted. You know where the start, the middle, and the end is. You know. So yeah. my 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 structure now is a, a well my 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 method now is somewhere between uh, Robert McKee's as in I have a structure, I'll have the characters plotted out, but I've also got a lot of room for maneuver within the story. Yeah. So if I decide ah oh, well you know what I don't want this character to do that or maybe I want this character to be a villain because it works better, you know I've got I've got the room to do that uh, yeah. and I can maneuver. You know? Cool. I think we've got one of those murder hornets on the line, actually. I don't know if it's oh, just well, me. Yeah. But... <laughs> I, I heard that. I heard that. I was trying to work out where that was coming from. I was like, yeah. Oh, oh, there, there we, we go. go. That's my method, man. My method is it's a mix between uh, a very traditional, um, you know, sit down and plot everything out and have everything ready to go. And I think, especially right. for somebody whose plot wouldn't have been as strong to begin with, that helped me a lot. But, uh, you know, uh, having the room to do things with the characters. You know, so I'll have a foundation for what I think they are, and then I'll allow that to be explored. But um, there has to be, like Rich said, moments within every yeah. issue that you write something that's going to grab the reader by the neck and go, you know, check this out. You're going to remember this after the issue's done, aren't you? you know yeah. I mean? And I do think it's, it's true that, you know, you can't be too formulaic about any of this stuff, because yeah. otherwise everything will read the same, won't it? You know, I mean, oh, yeah. so I think you're right. That, I mean, I, I kind of work in a more kind of gonzo approach as well, where yeah. I'll have an idea of where I want to get to. But actually, I tend to, a bit like you, Rich, I'll work through page by page sometimes, where I'll, I'll develop the actual um, narrative and the imagery as I'm working through the story itself, you know. And that's the yeah. only way I can do it, because I'm not disciplined enough to sit down and write the whole script, start to end yeah. Um, and I find it works for me that, and you know, it may not work for other people, but that, that's why I'm more comfortable with. I like to change things around as well, like you say. Well, this is it, mate. You know, it is, it's literally different strokes for different folks, and mm. it doesn't matter what it is as long as it gets the job done. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. 100%. So, if somebody's listening to this and they want to write comics and they've never done it or they're struggling to do it, is there any, any advice that you could, uh, you could give them as to, common mistakes that maybe you've made yourselves or that you see in, in new books of new writers. What about you, Rich? Do you, is there anything that you'd like to sort of suggest to people? Um, from a, a purely sort of logistic point of view, I, I teach sort of English as well as media, so I'm a little bit of a, a, a grammar Nazi and I think um, commas not being in the right place, apostrophes mm. on the wrong dates or... or those little things bug me. I think everybody knows somebody who you could just run your comic past before it goes to print and just think, just pick up a typo. It just screams unprofessional, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, but the, the one thing that bugs me the most is just wooden dialogue, like really wooden dialogue. And I see it a lot in a lot of small press indie comics. Um, like a character, for example, will say, I, I would not like that instead of I wouldn't like that. And to me, it just mm. takes me out of it. You just think nobody fucking speaks like that. And yeah. my advice to anyone who's, who's writing is just once you finish your script, 
read it out and, yeah. and act it out. That's great advice. Um, and it's just, does it, does it sound like, uh, are some of your lines of dialogue too long or do they sound wooden? And as I say, like, I would not have done it like that rather than I wouldn't have done it like, do you know what I mean? It's just even on because right. it's yeah. so unlike a character would actually speak. Um, mm. But then you see a lot of one-dimensional characters as well. And I like to think, as you were saying, Mark, I, I, I think I'm character and dialogue all day mm. long, more, more than yeah, yeah. plot or anything else. And I think yeah. that's why I like writing comics, because I, I'm, mm. I've written novels and I'm, I'm partway through writing one at the minute, and I cannot fucking bear description. Well, yeah, yeah. And I think there's something to be said for it because, you know, if you read something like Lord of the Rings, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and slag Tolkien off, but I don't want no. four pages describing a fucking field or a tree or, <laughs> you know, it just takes me out of it. Uh, <laughs> so, I've I, I, I digressed a little bit. I think my, my yeah, advice is, is look, look at your dialogue. Um, try and make characters speak a little bit differently so that they don't all just sound the same they haven't got all the same personality but certainly just read your dialogue does it sound natural does it sound like something you would hear down the pub you know or does it seem clipped and wooden and a little bit um unauthentic or it's quite funny that because when you talk about um fleshing out characters and stuff like that i, I did a cover for, for dan butch's vanguard and he gave me the backstory it, thank you. Oh, I appreciate that. Um, but he gave me the backstory. I said, can I have a little bit of sense of, you know, what I'm, what I'm working with here, obviously. And he told me, and I got this, this, like, huge amount of backstory and stuff. And I wrote to him, I went, fucking hell, mate. I mean, the, the extent of my backstory is, do they wear a hat? Have they got a beard? <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, ah. <laughs> what about you, Mark? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, I think Rich, did a pretty good job covering technique there because I mean you know te- technique ultimately everyone's going to have they're going to have their own way about going about it but what he mm-hmm. said was uh, about reading out loud uh, character dialogue and stuff that's instrumental because uh, some of the stuff uh, you get get past editorial I wonder because it, it, it is very it doesn't sound natural no my I think my uh my advice will be more about uh, process then, because what I'll say is, you got whenever you write something, one of the most important things you need to do is actually finish it, because everybody starts writing with the best of intentions. You know, they're like, uh, yeah, I'm going to write a, a novel or um, a comic or whatever, and then they don't finish it. They leave it halfway finished. Um, and if you can avoid um, telling people what you're doing, because this is, I actually read a scientific study about this, and I think it's probably true, but if you tell people that you're working on something, your brain gets fed a dopamine hit from their positive reaction, and you're less inclined to finish it. Okay, so right. uh, I, I genuinely do not tell someone whenever I'm working on something new. I just keep it to myself until I've finished it. So the other thing to do is whenever you have finished it, don't go to your friends and family for some sort of reaction because they're just going to tell you it's good. Okay. Yeah. So what you, what you actually want to do is you want to hand it to someone who's going to be critical in a positive way. And they're like going to say, 
Right, exactly. <laughs> exactly. You know, uh, although she was, she was critical in a negative way. But you know what, Lisa, yeah. Lisa got me on the right track. But the point is, you get, you get someone who's going to be critical in a positive way. Uh, and if that happens to be a good editor, if you can get a good editor from somewhere you're elected, because um, I've got an editor, Peter Duncan, and he looks at all my stuff, and he'll happily chop at the bits if he mm. thinks it's shit. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and I, I would rather that than, you know, something clunky and crap. I mean, it's like you hear about George Lucas's uh, wife at the time. I can't remember her name, but if it wasn't for her, Star Wars and New Hope would have been a big load of clunky crap. She mm. cut it to bits and, and made it palatable for people who weren't used to sci-fi dialogue. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, so you need somebody who's going to cut your stuff up and say, listen, that doesn't work, this works. Have a go with that. Or, uh, as Rich says, just read it out loud. And if it sounds clunky and crap to your own ear, change it. Change it to something else. And the third thing is, um, learn from other, other people, other writers, uh, who, you know, uh, are, uh, well, try, try and be a good judge of character because there's plenty of assholes out there, right? But, you know, try and find somebody who seems like a, a, a solid bet, who seems like a nice person. Ask them for advice. And, you know, become, Try and approach it uh, as a friend thing as well, because I, you know, I mean, are you ever sitting at a convention or something? And I mean, it doesn't happen to me very often. I see it happen to other people, but someone comes up and goes, "Oh my god, I'm your biggest fan. Could you tell me how to?" Mm. Uh, <laughs> whereas the, your best bet is maybe to send the person an email, say, "Hey mate, how you doing? Fan of your work, or you know, I've I've read your work, or even I've never read your work, but apparently you're good to talk to." <laughs> Mm, and, yeah. and, and uh, would you mind giving me a few tips if you approach it like that as opposed yeah. to screaming fanboy you know someone will, some people are more inclined to help you and I've had people like Mike Carey help me Pat Mills you know and I, and mm. I uh, ask for as much help as you can get because mm. uh, these people know their shit and they're gonna they're, they, they are where you wanna be so the best yeah. thing you can do is say to them yeah and whenever they give you advice take advice because you know, yeah. so that's it. Yeah. That's it, really. And and other, the other thing as well, just before I clock off on that point, is you're gonna get stuff rejected like a motherfucker. People are gonna tell yep. you your stuff shit. That doesn't always mean it is shit. Sometimes it's just not for them. Okay. Mm, so yeah. don't don't you know don't feel bad about plugging it to another publisher who might like it. Like I've sent stuff to 2008. They were like not for us. Other publishers picked it up. You know, or other publishers. And then I sent it to 2008, and they were like, "Oh, that's great! You know, I, you know, I like that stuff. I'll use it." So, mm, you know, yeah, uh, yeah. shop your stuff around, try and find a home for it. If no one's buying it, then you might be fucked. Time to time to work on something else. But yeah, you know, yeah. don't don't take that criticism personally. Look at it as an opportunity to go. How do I get better? And who do I need to talk to to make that happen? You know what I mean? That <laughs> submission stuff is is pretty soul destroying when you first start, oh, isn't it? Because I mean. Brutal. Well, it is if you go into it thinking that everybody's going to just immediately love what you do and start giving you, yeah. you know, oh, you can you start drawing dread? <laughs> do you know what I mean? Because yeah. like, oh, yeah, yeah. that happens, doesn't it? Um, yeah. If you do go with that attitude, it could it could pretty much destroy you before you begin. Yeah, well, but most yeah. most instances you won't get any feedback because these companies are dealing with so much. Mm-hmm. There's a million versions of you trying to get through their letterbox. And yeah. these companies are just like, fuck it, you know, if, if it's good enough to stand out from the slush pile, you might get a reaction, as in, keep trying, you know, come back, change this, come back. And if you get even a tiny bit of feedback, take it as a good thing, 
ticket that you are on to something because most people don't get any. Uh, uh, you know, so one of my biggest uh, bits of advice and one of the most rewarding experiences I've had in comics is working in the indie scene because in the indie scene you're going to have people who have nothing to lose by telling yeah. you that you're still shit and they actually will give you feedback and tell you how to get better. That's how yeah. anyone gets in. That's how anyone gets better. Work in the indies. Yeah. And, that's and have that thick skin as yeah. well, isn't it? If somebody gives you some advice, you know, or, or criticism, it's not to say that it's all bullshit. It's just that, yeah. you know, how arrogant have you got to be to think that you are the finished product, you know? Yeah. 100%. 100%. Yeah, I was listening to um, an interview with Matt Smith, um, mm-hmm. obviously also known as Tharg to some of our listeners. And he was saying that, you know, they, he makes a point of, of making sure they write back to everybody who submits. You know, it might take them ages, but they will reply to people, particularly on the art front and things, and tell them, yeah. you know, we, we it's not for us, but these are the kinds of things that you need to work on. And nine times out of ten, it's anatomy with, with drawing, he yeah. <laughs> basically says. But also on the, on the writing front as well, you know, I mean, he, he, apparently he's a big advocate in making sure that people don't just get, you know, flat rejection, but they actually get some positive criticism to try and help them because, mm. you know, for all you know, one of those people submitting, given the right guidance and given a few, few rounds of submitting and refusal submit, can end up being the next bloody Alan Moore or whatever. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You, know, yeah. it, you don't know, do you? I mean, we, we all look back on our old stuff and go, Jesus, you know, and you, you never stop growing and learning, do you? Really? No. Well, you well, shouldn't. But like Mark was saying, you know, the, the key thing is to finish it, isn't it? And, yeah. and not leave things half done. And um, they say if you want to break into comics, you've got to be making comics. Yeah. And, you know, whether, whether you break in or not, it doesn't matter because at the end of the day, you're still making comics. You're still, you know, exactly. whether you've got a readership of just you and your nan or, or a readership of a few mm-hmm. hundred, it, it doesn't matter because you're still, you're still just doing it. Listen, yeah. yeah. Exactly, and let me tell you, like you see, whenever you're you're submitting, send that stuff that you've made, send a copy in, uh, and let them see the quality of what you're doing, because you know ultimately uh, that stands for itself. You know, it'll stand alone as you know, uh, apart from the script or whatever that you submitted. Mm. They can look at that and go, "Oh fuck, this is great," you know. Yeah, Mm. Uh, and and you can get stuff done. yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's a, a great modern example is look at, you know, Dan Cornwell. He started out in, what was it, Zoy Jazz? Yeah. Uh, yeah. John Wagner, caught John Wagner's eye. You know what I mean? Yeah. The rest is history. Great stuff, guys. I'm, I'm sure people... Yeah. And I think I'm making notes, so I'm sure other people yeah, yeah. will be. <laughs> so One last thing as well, yeah. establishing shots. Fuck, you know, why don't people have establishing shots? Yeah. You know, when there's a change of scene and people just expect you to just, oh, I'm there now, am I? Honestly, God, that yeah, one's yeah. real. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's funny because I've, I've been doing a lot of work on um, trying to improve my, my colouring techniques, shall we say. Yeah. And uh, that was one of the things that I was always fascinated by is that how people can, you know, establish in shots, but also how they can establish where you are within the scene by the colour palette that you're using. And it's, you know, it's such a simple thing to do, you know, to really give the reader the sense of, we're indoors, we're outdoors, or we're in the we're in the bathroom indoors. Do you know what I mean? And just yeah, using yeah. the right palette and maintaining that means you can flick, you know, very much like like you know, um, in the the movie tropes that you know you flick between scenes, but you always know where you are within within the context of the scenes. You know, it's a lost art, isn't it? Really, um, oh, it's storytelling yeah. in itself, isn't it? Colouring. 
I mean, one of the things when I first started getting back into, I mean, obviously I've dropped out of art for about 20 years, but when we started getting back into it and I decided that we wanted to make comics and have a go at it, was I bought a book on, um, you know, how, how to film for cinema, yeah. cinema shots yeah. and stuff. And, and, you know, because a lot, we think about it, a lot of the principles are the same about, you know, you, you look at a movie, there's establishing shot and then there's the mid shot, the close up or wherever it may be. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it's fascinating yeah. stuff when you read it. Oh, just because you don't realize you're consuming it until you read about it and then you start seeing it everywhere going, oh, yeah. Oh, you know, I used to, I, I, lo- I love that stuff. And I used to, I remember whenever, uh, whenever I was a kid, whenever I was about <laughs> 10 or 11, I remember saving up, uh, one year to buy the, uh, Ralph McQuarrie. Star Wars art books. Do you remember those? And it was all oh, his yeah. concept. It was all his concept art. And I remember thinking it was the most stunningly beautiful stuff that I'd yeah. ever seen. You know, uh, all these early conceptual designs, and then the actual, uh, you know, establishing sort of shots in Cloud City mm-hmm. or you know, uh, Tatooine in uh, uh, the Cantina. All that sort of stuff. It was just mind blowing. And it really, I love to see artists and colorists who, who uh, you know, have. Um, you know, they, they, they've learned from somebody of that old school of thinking, you know, where they can bring that with them because it's just, it's a, 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 it's a reverence for the form, you know what I mean? And just, just on that then, how important yeah. do you feel it is, um, the, the collaboration between a writer and an artist then? Cause it's a strange one, isn't it? Because for me, um, I, I think it's critical, you know, for you, because yeah. you get one half of that wrong. No matter how good the writing is, you know, if if the artwork isn't up to scratch, then people aren't they're just not going to read it. Basically, they're going to turn it out, and vice versa. You know, the artwork can be beautiful, yeah. but if the story's boring, again, you know, people aren't going to actually, um, you know, persevere through it. But yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? That there's the yeah, there's the common issue of Alan Moore's Watchmen. Yeah. Well, actually, um, it wasn't just Alan Moore's Watchmen, you know, and. And, you know, all those kinds of things where it tends to be that the writer will get the top billing over the artist. Yeah. But do you yeah. find that, what's your view on that as, as writers primarily then? Do you, do you, why is that? What's, what, why, why writers get more of the credit than Yeah, why is it people always think about, you know, they'll, they'll sort of say it was Alan Moore's Swamp Thing or, you know, I'm using Alan Moore now all the time. Yeah. But, you know, that's, that's the ones that you think about, isn't it? Is, I mean, Watchmen is the, is the prime example where, Everyone refers to it as Alan Moore's Watchmen, even though Alan Moore says, "Listen, there was there was more than me involved in it. You know, there was, yeah. there was at least Dave Gibbons and, and, and others. You know, but that's the general kind of um, perception." I, I, I actually think, and this this is you know this is just my opinion. I think it depends on what it was and uh, to the extent of which it uh, affected the genre, because. I'll give you I'll give you an example. In the case of Frank Miller, say Frank Miller was a combination of writer and artist on Daredevil, so that both had a massive impact. Mm. But uh, if you look at the Stan Lee Jack Kirby collaborations, it was undoubtedly Jack Kirby who was perceived as the you know the creator of the two. Whenever it yeah. came to uh, you know the Fantastic Four, uh, you know X Men, all that sort of stuff. And, and it's the same if you look at. Uh, say, Chris Claremont and Jim Lee's X-Men. Uh, it's always Jim Lee who uh, is cited first. They always go on the Jim Lee era of X-Men, right? Mm. And, and, and I think it is entirely down to the strength of the, uh, the sort of, I, I guess, the, the expression from the, either the writer or the artist as to who's going to come out on top. 
Because personally, I mean, if you look at Watchmen, Dave Gibbons' work on Watchmen, I think, is unsurpassed. It's some of the best work I've ever seen. But yes. it's surpassed by the writing, because Moore's work on that, uh, his script mm. was actually so good that it made uh, Dave Gibbons, um, well, obviously, Dave Gibbons' work accentu- accentuated the whole thing, but it's, it's the impact of the story that stays with you, and um, it was really Moore's writing. Mm. Whereas, if you read Chris Claremont's X-Men scripts, they're brilliant and everything, but I can remember the art so distinctly because Jim Lee had a style that again changed the genre. And I yeah. looked at his stuff and I thought, wow, mm. never seen anything like this. You know, guys yeah. like him and Mark Silvestri, that 90s era of artists were really doing something interesting, special, mm. you know? So, so it depends. Mm. I think it's, I think it's 50 50 actually. Yeah, definitely right. I mean, as the, you know, like I said, Jim Lee's art is so dynamic that it stands up, but I think, people credit the writers because sort of the, the germ of the idea is usually theirs. The story is theirs. And arguably, um, as you say, let's take Watchmen, Dave Gibbons, uh, you know, you can't take anything away from what he achieved, but you could argue that somebody like Alan Davis could have potentially have drawn Watchmen or anyone else mm. could have drawn True. Watchmen, but only Alan Moore could have written it. So I think yeah. it's it's sort of... The, the artists are only really drawing what the writer has said for them to draw. And it doesn't matter how good a job the artist has done, arguably, mm. they're sort of, that they could potentially be interchangeable. Whereas the writer, sort like if they brought nothing to the table, there wouldn't be anything on the table. But with the, with the different artists, I don't know. I mean, that's, that's, yeah. it sounds like I'm doing a huge disservice to every single comic artist. I don't mean oh. it like that, but. No, think, no, you know, no. The stories start with the writers, don't they? And, but yeah. as you say, with the Stanley Jack Kirby, you know, without, without Jack, the, there wouldn't have been those stories. Oh, yeah. But, you know, yeah. it's, it's a symbiotic relationship anyway. The, the, the best comics totally. always are, but totally. I think, Damien, you were saying, like, why, why do, um, the writers usually get top billing? It, I think, I don't know, people are just narrow-minded, I guess. It's like with a, a film. You, you always think of the director, but you never know who's the screenwriter. But the director yeah. gets the, yeah, the sort of the credit. But without the screenwriter, the director's just sat on his own in a chair, do you know what I mean? It's, it's, yeah. it's funny because there's pros and cons to, to every sort of... I mean, it's like, if, <laughs> if you look at um, the writers, for instance, the writer is going to hold on to it. Well, if they've signed a contract that allows them, they're going to hold on to maybe a percentage of the IP, or maybe they're going to keep mm-hmm. it in for write and work on the movie, and they'll get paid a percentage. Whereas the artist, on the other hand, is going to be able to take those leg- that legacy of work that they did for um, whatever the comic was, if it was successful, and sell you know commissions for thousands mm-hmm. of you know dollars. Mm-hmm. So there's pros and cons to everything. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And it's just I don't know. It's uh, I mean, listen. In an ideal world, I would have. Uh, I'd, 18 became a prodigy comic book artist, but instead, <laughs> <laughs> instead, uh, Miss McCarthy, my teacher, was a bitch, and uh, uh, I ended up, uh, you know, not pursuing art anymore. And uh, so instead, I'm doing, I'm doing writing, and and I love it, I love it. And but yeah. you know, uh, at the same time, there's part of me that would love to be a comic book artist, and yeah. I love that form. I love comic book art. I think it's the most beautiful art. I think it's the closest to some of it. Like uh, you know, I've worked with Glenn Fieldy and stuff. And I've, yeah. I, I, I've, I've looked at Rene Assange's art and then I've looked at his stuff and I'm like, fuck, there's nothing. Oh, no. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I know then, you know, just go back to the point about how important is that collaboration. I know your collaboration, Rich, with, with Brian on Mahoney's is, is very important to you because I suppose that to a degree, does it make it easier for you because you know that you can, you can basically just trust the guy to, to deliver what you want? Yeah, it does. I mean, I've done comics in the past where I've worked with an artist and it's been totally work for hire. And, yeah. um, I paid them, they've given me the pages, job done, and that's as much as they want to know. But it's, it's funny with Brian. I had to, I had to argue with him to give him co-creator credit on Mahoney's. Right. He was saying, no, it's yours. You know, you wrote it. They're your characters. You know, it's fine. I'll, I'll draw it. I'm really invested in the story and all that. And I, mm. I, you know, we didn't fall out by any stretch, but I, I, I was arguing with him saying, honestly, that's bullshit because without you, there isn't a Mahoney's and yeah. you know, if, if we get a Netflix series out of it, I might kick myself, but you know, <laughs> Brian is, is absolutely the, the co-creator and it's nice oh, working good. with him because he, he's as invested in the characters as I am and he brings as much to the table with, with that world as I do. Like I'll, I'll just say there's a character called, um, Vilafax and, and that's almost as much as I'll give him. And then he just comes back with this wonderful visual. You think, I can't say that I'm the sole creator of that character. Just yeah, yeah. With a name. That's bullshit. That's, that's Stan and that's Steve brilliant. territory, isn't it? But, um, you know, it, it is nice, as you say, to work with somebody who's invested in the characters as much as you are. Because it's not work for hire. And I think Brian's passion is, is there on the page of Mahoney's. I mean, the, the yeah. guy's an artistic animal anyway. His pages are amazing, but. Good, yeah, it's good. it's nice, and you don't feel like you're just squirreling away on your own either. It's nice to sort of have a mate who's in it with you, you know. But mm. yeah, I, I really had to fight. He, he was he was totally against it. I had to really put my foot down and say, no, I'm not having that. Unless you go as co-creator on issue one, then you know that, that's sort of it in a way. But yeah, yeah. He was like, oh, okay, yeah, go on. Then. Yeah, that's quite an unusual um, scenario, isn't it? Really, yeah, yeah. these days, often. <laughs> But I suppose though in the in the kind of indie world it's not really because people are you know we are very well we try to be very supportive yeah. to each other don't we and and what you do so if you you know if somebody asked me to do a cover you know I'd do it I'd do the best I can do you know because yeah. even though because it, it's not my property I I take a real kind of um, honour in being asked to play with someone else's toys so I take yeah, it really yeah. seriously and I think I think you do that and and you know yeah I suppose. Some people do dial it in, but I don't see that a lot in the in the kind of indie world, to be honest. I think everyone's just so thrilled to be asked yeah. to do anything that you just give it everything yeah. you've got, don't you? You know. This is that's, yeah. that's exactly exactly it. Uh, I find as well that it's funny it's something um, uh, Rich was saying there um, about that creative furnace, and you know, there's some sharky characters uh, out there, you know, and they will they will shark you. They'll take your IP and all sorts of stuff if, if yeah. you're not savvy. So to have that, you know, that sort of, uh, how would you say, um, level of consideration for your fellow creators, it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's great. I love to see it. You see, you see it a lot in the Indies, although that said, I've, you know, I don't know, there's, I'd say there's maybe about 80% solid oh, people yeah. who are just in here wanting to, uh, you know, make comics, have a good time, et cetera, et cetera. And then they'll have the odd shark, you know. Yeah. It's just going to be every business, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. 100%. 100%. Yeah. 100%. You know what I mean? If we just go to the next question, which I asked you, which was, if you could write any character or series, so you get to choose anything, um, you know, you can reboot it, you can do whatever you want. 
what would it be and what would you do differently with them? And we'll start with you, um, Mark, if that's all right. Yeah, um, I think I'm from that school of, uh, listen, I like characters who've been thrown away or uh, never have had their full potential met. Uh, You know, they're sort of like in the dustbin of uh, comic pop culture, but maybe it's something or someone who's resonated with you. And I guess the one that always comes back to me is uh, I love Howard Mackey's 90s run on Ghost Rider. Uh, and, and right. I'm not going for it. There was, you know, the Mark Texera, uh, uh, Val, uh, I can't remember the other artist, the Mexican artist. Uh, they, they were uh, on art, and it was just a beautiful series. I really loved it. Then you had the Cubits on it, you know. It was, uh, it was an interesting take, and there was a character in it called Vengeance. Uh, he was like this, uh, you know, uh, angry cop who, uh, you know, also got a uh, kind of like a Ghost Rider type spirit of vengeance demon in him, you know. And he took over. He was popular sort of in the 90s as one of those, you know, rip-off characters. And he took over for a while and then he was summarily gotten rid of later on in the run. But I always remember that character uh, sticking out to me and thinking, ooh, I could do something interesting with that. Right. If I had had the opportunity, and you know, I would, if if I got that character, I would do something, you know, dark and vertigo esque with him. You know, uh, mm-hmm. playing in that sort of, you know, that um, uh, how would you say the creepy horror end of Marvel comics? I would I would love to get that character and just do something uh, outside of the genre with him. My equivalent uh, would be of, uh, or I'm not obviously not comparing myself to Alan Moore, but I'd like to go with that character. Like yeah. Alan Moore went to Swamp Thing. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, do yeah. Something, yeah. Do something fucking crazy that people wouldn't see coming and maybe, you know, reinvigorate it. So, yeah. No, just like if, if you're like as obscure a character as that, no no editor really cares what you do with them yeah. in a way, do they? Uh, so you, I, you, you got you got more freedom to sort of do yeah. interesting stuff oh, yeah. with them. Mm. Yeah, that's that's true. But also the, the problem with that that sort of stuff is they have to look at it at a commercial level and go, is this yeah. going to sell? I mean, is anyone going to give a fuck? You know what I mean? What about you, Rich? Um, I don't know. I think if, you, if you're asking, like, in an ideal world, dream scenario, I think there's two. One one of which is um, Strontium Dog, who's, who's one of my favourite characters. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've, I've, I've recently written a, a, a short story that's coming out in the next Dog Breath, which oh, was brilliant. which was nice oh, to to write the you know Johnny's in it and Wolf and Middenface and um, it was lovely to write those characters who I've loved but I think um, unless it's Wagner and Grant it's, it's sort of I don't think anyone else can can really do it or perhaps shouldn't do it I don't know mm. so I, I I wouldn't want to I wouldn't want I think Ennis said the same when he did um, he, he was writing Dread. He, he loved the character so much that he didn't, he wasn't able to do it just yeah, sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. But my my ideal one, I think, would be Spider Man. Um, and it bugs me that Spider Man's not funny anymore. Uh, you know, yeah. the, the whole thing was when he's web swinging, he, he's fighting villains and cracking jokes and that sort of thing. And he's not he's not miserable anymore as a character, but it's just sort of the, the, the sort of fun I think has gone out of him a little bit. I would and agree. I think. Is it Nick Spencer writing him at the minute? I think Nick Spencer's trying to bring a bit of fun back. But mm. he's going a little, maybe a bit too wacky for my taste. I don't know, but uh, just try and make Spider-Man fun and funny again. 
Did you read the Chip Zdarsky, uh Spectacular Spider-Man or Peter Parker's Spider-Man? Man? Yeah, yeah, really good, really good. Brilliant, really good. Yeah, really good. Yeah. There is a uh, there is a tendency though to 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 go one way or the other, though, isn't there? Too far. But I mean, I've always loved Batman. I don't read the Bat books anymore. Um, yeah, I had a big falling out with DC when they they I can't follow the canon because they just screwed it up that much. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, for me, I've spoken about this on other podcasts, but the, you know, I love Death in the Family and I thought it was a real turning yeah. point. Yeah. And then, yeah. you know, when you find that they bring Jason Todd back and it's like, oh, for fuck's sake, you know, yeah. it's it just that, that was the end for me. I just, this is complete yeah. nonsense. Nothing, so, nothing but, secret. You know, well, and that's that, the first thing always I'd, been I'd, a, I'd bring Uncle Ben back. If I was not inspired, <laughs> I'd bring Uncle Ben back. Just have him in the shower, like in Dallas. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it's, all been, it's all been a 50-year dream or something. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, the point I was I was getting to with, with, with the Batman thing is, though, is that it's just so serious now. You know, it's like, oh, he's, why, why has he got a moustache and he's riding a fucking horse for, like, eight <laughs> issues? Like, yeah, it just well, seems so I, serious. And it's like, give us a break. You yeah, know, there's I, a place for it, but... I don't know. I can't, I can't warm to Batman or Superman. They're not, they're just, they don't do it for me. I mean, I'd like to have a crack at something like Superman because I don't think I've read the Superman comic in my life, if I'm honest. Not, not as straight. It's just too powerful. I, I mm. don't, I don't, I mean, I get Superman as a, as a symbol and I get like he's mm. recognizable and I get what he stands for, but Captain America is a bit the same. It's like, uh, are, there, are there really that many great runs on, on the characters? So I think what yeah. I'd do is I'd depower Superman or do it like, I don't know, we can only use his powers one at a time or something. I don't know, just take the edge off him being so fucking powerful. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. Uh, I, I think, you know, it's funny because I think, uh, uh, you know, Superman and Captain America are fundamentally, uh, it's like, you know, I struggle to see anybody but somebody who lives in the UK writing John Constantine. The same yeah. way I struggle to see anybody uh, who's not American writing uh Captain America or Superman. And and yeah. I know that's 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 bullshit. It's in, there's absolutely no reason why someone from the UK couldn't write um Captain America or Superman, but in my head I'm like, nah, it needs to be an American and I don't know why. I think it's just because those characters are so fundamentally uh, you know, uh of the US whereas mm-hmm. you know, you, you you really need to be of that culture, of that aesthetic to understand it, I don't know. I just, yeah, a Spidey Captain America team up where Spidey's oh, yeah. just in awe of Cap and Cap yeah. works well there, but when he's on his own, you know, not so much like you say Superman in uh, Hitman, he, he, he worked great as a, a sort of symbol, but not as a character on his own. I mean, yeah. again, yeah. I don't know because I've not read Superman comics. I'd like to have a crack at a, a DC character that I don't care about or don't know about and just sort of come at it with fresh eyes, you know. Yeah, no, I, yeah. I think I think a lot of those big characters work better when they're grounded what support supporting cast. And you know, yeah, a great yeah. example of that is is a, a character on a run we both love and that's Peter David Hulk. Because Hulk was very one yeah. note for for, you know, years. It was always Hulk getting chased by the military, blah blah blah. And and then uh Peter David wrote him with a supporting cast. He had Rick Jones, he had Marlo, yeah. uh, you know, Betty, uh Doc Sampson. And it became more of a, of, uh, it wasn't just about Bruce Banner anymore. You know what I yeah. mean? So it made this incredible, incredibly powerful character more grounded. Yeah, so, 100%. Uh, yeah. More of a soap opera. Yeah. I, it was funny because talk, talk about, um, 
Superman and stuff. I mean, one of the one of my favourite Superman stories was um, when Alan Moore did, you know, whatever happened to the Man of Tomorrow, which I don't know if oh, you've ever read, read that. that. One. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and and that that reads not like a Superman story primarily because, I th- and I think it is because Alan Moore wrote it. You know, and it's a strange story, obviously, because they were capping off that kind of that era and, and they were going to relaunch with the, um, you know, Man of Steel, was it? Um, but it was, it's interesting though, because I, I reread it again recently. I've been listening to Tony's podcast and they've been talking about it on there. So I, I reread it again. I thought, yeah, it's a really interesting take. Yeah. You know, there's a lot more vulnerability there um, mm-hmm. than you would expect. You know, and if an American had written it, the words. You know what? You're absolutely right. And I just realized I just before you before you say anything, Rich, I just realized I'm talking a big load of shit. Because Grant Morrison wrote Superman recently, uh well, about a decade ago anyway, him and Frank Whiteley and they did an amazing job. So everything I said about Americans writing Superman, I'm talking bullshit. <laughs> yeah, but to be fair, yeah, is Grant Morrison of this earth? That's the question. Yeah, true. So, yeah. You know, there's your get out, mate, you know. Yeah. <laughs> He's the physical manifestation of DMT. (laughs) (laughs) And for me, if I could have a crack at any character and bring any character back, um, it'd be Axel Press Button and Laser Razor. Absolutely. Oh, Oh, God. You know, I adore, I adore Axel Press Button. And I just think why, why that was never um, bigger than it, than it was. You know, I mean, probably because you had to fill the boots of, Steve Dillon and things like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, it's so British, isn't it? So, so oh, utterly British. Yeah. And degenerate and funny and, you know, it's just, just oh, such yeah. a great character. I'd love a crack at that. Um, yeah. You know, but, hey, you know, might do one of those fan things one day. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, then I don't get it sued. Re- <laughs> <laughs> it reminds me very much of that period in, in, uh, uh, in the UK. Where you had a specific type of comedy, uh, that was really fucking brilliant, like Black Adder and, you know, uh, mm. The Young Ones and, you know, Only Fools and Horses, but you also had a very specific type of, uh, comic that was coming out at the time. And it was yeah. very ed- edgy and, uh, cynical and degenerate and against the grain. And it was that, that era in, in British comics, 2008 was kind of like one of the, it, it was very much of that zeitgeist. And it was just a great bloody yeah. era in comics, yeah. you know. Uh, I look back at it and I'm like, ah, oh, when's it going to be that good again, you know? Yeah. yeah. But that, that anarchic uh, edge is missing from comics. Like, who's, who's your rock yep. stars in comics these days? Who's your, who's your sort of big, yeah, big sort of comic rock stars? There's, I don't know. There's plenty of, well, I think, rock stars in the sense of style and, and stuff like that. There's plenty of people like that that you can look at and go, that's, you know, they're amazing. What they do is amazing. But as far as substance and being different and being edgy, you're right. Yeah. The, the, Even the image guys in the 90s, you know, their style was so recognisable, so different. And everyone likes flags Liefeld off, but at least you're looking at a Liefeld brain, it's not archaic sort of mm-hmm. edge to yeah, yep, you're, you're 100% the thing right. that I felt, I admire is he didn't really give a shit though, did he? Because you know yeah. everybody kind of had a go at him, and yeah, he just yeah. carried on. You know, he didn't. Oh, he no, didn't no, if that was us, we'd be like, I'm never drawing a comic ever again. You know, I'm not. You know, but he well, was just like, yeah, all right, right carried on. Doing it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Do you know, do you know what? You, you gotta give it to those guys as well. Like you, you're, you're absolutely right. Um, those guys didn't. They didn't give a fuck. 
they just went out there and did their own thing. And if you yeah. liked it, you liked it. You didn't, you didn't. But that 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 anarchic edge, and you're absolutely right about this, Rich. Um, the, the, that anarchic edge is gone because everybody is playing a safety game at the minute. And yeah. I, I like, I mean, I'll give you a prime example. I, I won't tell you the publication, uh, but I sent into uh, a uh, script, and they said, "Listen, there was a scene where some kids get killed in it." You know, and uh, uh, they said, "Listen, we frowned very heavily on this sort of this sort of stuff happening." You know, because you yeah. know we don't want to upset anybody. And I remember reading a judge death story where he kills a nursery, and I, <laughs> I remember watching, uh, you know, uh, Revenge of the Sith, which is, you know, it's not a particularly yeah. good movie, but it was edgy enough to have a main character kill a bunch of kids, and, yeah. and now that these guys were saying to me, "No, we, you know, we frown heavily on us," and I was like. What the fuck? This is not even that controversial. You know, you should absolutely be pushing the boundaries and upsetting people and making grannies yeah. right in and, you know, pushing people's buttons and pissing off the pearl clutching crowd, you know, and, and telling yeah. them, you know what, fuck you, we're going to make art and you're not going to put, you're not going to yeah. put your restrictions on it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, what about this cancel culture bullshit at the minute? And, yeah, you know, I think that's where so many creators want to go create around because yeah. I yeah. think somebody like Kirkman, with Invincible, um, some of the stuff he did in that and in The Walking Dead, you know, when you're killing off main characters and stuff, mm. you, you just wouldn't have that freedom if you were, if you were draw, if you were writing Spider-Man every month. Yeah. So that freedom yeah. to do what you want has got to be. And, and we're all writing our own creator own stuff. You know, I, I, you can do what you want and you know yeah. you can. And it's just liberating. You're not constrained yeah. by 60 years of continuity or, or the fact that you know, you can't kill off a main character. Um, and the, the amount of people who are getting to play in the, the, the Marvel DC sandbox, because that's the characters they grew up on, but then they're saving arguably their best stuff for the creator-owned books. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting you say about the uh, the 2018 thing as well, because one of the, the panels, well, one of the pages that I always um, still to this day gives me shivers is in the, the Necropolis run when I think Mortis is chasing the it's, it's the cadets down in the sewers. Yeah. Oh, and he yeah, basically, like... you know, he just rots this kid yeah, and, yeah, over a series yeah. of panels. I just think, Jesus, you yeah. know, and but that again yeah. is a very British thing, isn't it? You know, yeah. I think it's mm-hmm. the American underground comics, you know, with, with the Freak Brothers and, and Robert Crumb and that were very yeah, different. Yeah. You know, it was a different kind of culture that they were subversive about. Whereas I think, you know, the British, we, we're just a bit more probably deranged in a more horrific way. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. Delicious, I mean, you know, it's good for the story. <laughs> you do it, don't you? you know. I like I like that. So I are like we, are we basically saying that all American comics are shit? No. <laughs> is, that, is that the conclusion no, no. we've reached tonight? No. <laughs> some, of, some of my favourite stuff, uh, you know, steeped in Americana, but Oh, yeah, it's yeah, a different. Sure. It's definitely a different style. You know what I mean. Yeah. It's a different style, and and uh, obviously as a uh, as a denizen of uh, the UK and Ireland, I I look at I like the cynical stuff because it's it's just what appeals to me. But uh, I think there's a lot of Americans who prefer the Kurt Busiek or the uh, you know uh, uh, the Chris Claremont or uh, any of those guys who are more traditional superheroes. You know what I mean. And there's a place yeah. for all of it, isn't there? That's yeah, the thing. Is, you know and. But, you know, I, I loved Vertigo. Yeah, the greatest US line was Vertigo for me. And, and you yeah. look at the majority of creators on that, you know, they yeah, were, they, they, 
you know, they were British um, or British influenced at the very least, you know. So yeah, yeah. interesting yeah. stuff. Okay, that's that's been brilliant, guys. I mean, it's been really, really interesting, and and I'm sure you know people listening to this will be fascinated uh, not just about the process that you guys go through but also just your thoughts in general about you know writing and, and the broader i mean we tend to do this but we end up looking at the broader than the the topic that we're talking about you know so oh, we're not yeah. just talking about writing but talked about comics in general and, and the yeah. kind of you know the context in which they're created and i think it's been fascinating oh, so yeah. we'll just um just talking about you guys do you want to tell us a little bit about any, well, if you can tell us, because obviously, I don't know, you might be top secret, any current or future projects that you're working on? And we'll, we'll start with you, um, Mark, if that's all right. Yeah, uh, sure, sure. So um, let me see. August, I have stuff coming out. So um, I think it's August 12th. I have a series coming out called, it's a five-issue mini-series for the heavy metal sub-imprint virus. August, August 12th is called Never Never, and the way I pitched it to the company was Peter Pan and the Hunger Games meets Lord of the Flies. So uh, <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't want to go too much into it, but uh, essentially it, it is um, a young girl trapped on an island full of damaged young boys who've been brought there from the outside world by this benevolent, um, you know, sprite-like character, uh, you know, the sort of Peter Pan-type character. Uh, he himself is quite, he's become quite deranged over the millennia. And they're, cause they're stuck on a, an island with limited resources, they've inevitably resorted to cannibalism. So it, it, you know, it's her trying to escape this island and it's, uh, you know, a twisted, uh, sort of look at the mythology in there. And, you know, it's, I hope people like it. You know, it's, uh, yeah. it's fun, but it's also fucking scary. You know, it, it's, it's, yeah, yeah. you know, I, I play this thing like it's for real, like it's for keeps. And, mm. uh, you know, I, I took my cues from guys like Robert Kirkman, who's like, well, you know, we're going to kill people here. Uh, so I've got that coming out. It's with a great team. I've got um, Phil Buckingham on art. He's a bloody brilliant guy. Agnes Poza on uh, colors. David Weathers on letters. Peter Duncan, my my old faithful friend, who is just a man. He's at it. In, uh, and I've got Christopher Lair on uh, the cover. He's a new artist. French artist, and he, this is his first comic work, and I'm, I'm telling you, he's going to blow you away with the covers. Um, and the other thing I've got coming out is Heavy Metal Issue 300, uh, which is August 19th, I think, and I'm working with uh, Paul Fry on that. He's done some stuff for DC. Again, he's a bloody wonderful artist, and he is uh, he's being colored by uh, Adam Brown, Brian's younger brother. And, uh, he, uh, will be in letter by Frank Forte, who is, he's, uh, uh, an editor, but also a creator for Heavy Metal and the brilliant guy. So, anyway, oh, yeah. those, those are coming out, and, uh, Heavy Metal 300 has, it's got a raft of creators, and it's got old school stuff like Mebius, uh, you know, Richard Corbin stuff in there, as well as, you know, new creators like Blake Northcott, who's getting a lot of heat at the minute, mm. uh, for Catwoman, uh, run, and, um, so, you know, uh, anybody who's listening, if you want to check that stuff out, head it up to your retailers. Or uh, in the case of Never Never, go to the Heavy Metal web store and you can either uh, order a physical copy or you can get it digitally or you can get it digitally off Comicology. And if you drop over to my social media profile, it's just Mark McCann on Facebook or uh, at bad underscore uh, man underscore MC on Instagram. You know, I'll be pimping it over there so you can just drop over and I'll give you all the details uh, on where to get it, etc. So, thank you. Sounds great. 
Well, Sounds great. really good, mate. Yeah, excellent. And I believe that issue three hundred, one of those covers is uh, by certain. I've never heard of him, but Glenn, Glenn Fabry, someone like that. that guy. Who, who is yeah, that guy? How did how did he get he's on? He's a the hack, isn't he? How did yeah, he get on? He's, he's, he, I, I hear him popping up from time to time, and I'm like, Glenn, who? who? <laughs> Yeah. yeah, yeah, he's really on one of the yeah, covers. He's he's knocked it out of the park on that one, hasn't he? Mm-hmm. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. And what about you, Rich? What's what's on the boil with uh, with Hardline Comics and stuff? Um, Mahoney's issue four will be coming out soonish, uh, really? certainly this year sometime. Uh, that'll go straight onto Kickstarter, I would think. I'm working on a comic called Limits with a, an artist called Lee Gasson, who you found online. He's brilliant. Really, really uh, vivid artwork, uh, and that's like a one-off. It's a bit darker than what I normally do, because yeah. uh, I normally stick to sort of comedy stuff. But uh, this is a bit darker about sort of depression and addiction. It's still a superhero comic, but mm. with a bit more more vertigo sort of edge. Um, not sure when that's coming out. It's all scripted. It's just it's just with the artist, just you know. Yeah, working away. Uh, so that'll come out probably twenty twenty one, I think. Uh, but also I've got a Strongium Dog short in Dog Breath coming out. Um, we got an original Mahoney's short story coming in there. You know the comic scene annual. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. I think yeah, I think that's coming out just before Christmas. So uh, really? yeah, we've got a nice uh, Mahoney's short story in that, and looking away in a. a a novel at the minute really called The War of Here and There but it's, it's really doors for that so yeah I'm keeping myself busy spinning. during lockdown excellent of spinning. yeah yeah that's great yeah, yeah. where can people um, track you down on, on social media and stuff Rich I'd rather they didn't to be honest I'm not, <laughs> I'm not it's uh, I, I, I correlate uh, having a, a big following on social media because editors and publishers will see Oh, you know, you've got a fan base in the tens of thousands online or whatever. Right. And it just made me sad because I don't, I don't really do social media. I can't be bothered with it. Yeah. Uh, you've got to sort of, you know, that's that's the grind, isn't it? That's the hustle. I don't know. I'm on Facebook. Richard carries me. You know, it's, I don't know, how many followers you've got. What does it really mean? I don't know. Anyway, Twitter, RichCarty100. Instagram, CarringtonRich100. Go, go on to Facebook. Type in Hardline Comics yeah. um, or Mahoney's, and we, we've got pages for each. Facebook, to be honest, is, is where we do most of our, our yeah. pimping. Yeah. yeah, Twitter Twitter makes me want to kill myself. It's, it's, like, a, it's, like, a, it's like a digital tire fire, and it's horrible. Yeah, it's, it's one of the most hard places I've ever ever spent time. I, a friend of mine uh, best described it. He said, do you remember that episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer? Where uh, Buffy can hear everybody's unfiltered thoughts and it drives her insane. <laughs> Do you remember that? It's just everybody's <laughs> thoughts. Are yeah, so that's Twitter because you, every time you're on, it's just people's unfiltered thoughts and they will slowly drive you insane. Uh, there's no yeah. filter on it. It's just absolute hateful nonsense most of the time. I avoid it like a plague. So, and it just makes me want to put my phone down and think, I don't know, man. It's, I, don't, yeah. I don't get it. I don't get yeah, it. It's right. a bit upsetting, it's, really, but. It's, it's hard uh, to be a comics fan and see much, so much divisive, hateful shit uh, coming from uh, you yeah. know all these people that you know in in comics, and you're like, what? Yeah. You know, so it, it, I had to say, I I don't use Twitter and I never will, and it's primarily because uh, there's a lot of people I know on there, uh, 
and they're just the people I physically know and would have conversations with, and we're completely a okay in real life. But you know, they'll say stuff on there, and I'm like, you know, what the yeah. fuck? You oh yeah, I mean? is that what you really think? You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and 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 I don't want to get into it. I don't want to argue. I don't want to talk talk bullshit. I'd rather create good comic books and just hopefully people enjoy them. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, I mean, I, 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 I use social media just to promote the books, and that's yeah. that's it, really. I'm not interested in in you know giving my fucking opinion on X Y Z to my you know 120 followers or whatever. Um, yeah. But yeah, but you see people with tens of thousands of followers and they're, they're tweeting their opinion on this, that, and they're getting involved in politics. And you think, oh, fuck that. Just, you know, I just want to read the comics, man. Yeah, yeah. I think, yeah. I think it was, uh, it may have been Frank Zappa that said, opinions are like arseholes, aren't they? Everybody's got one, but you don't need to see it. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and oh, yeah. that's Twitter all over, isn't it? So I would, yeah. I would rather, you know, not ever see that shit so I don't go on Twitter. <laughs> so um i mean if you're interested in about the stuff that i do then you can find me on art92.com and instagram and we are on twitter but facebook all that stuff and we we keep it as art92 everything is under art92 because i say this every week and it's true you get to our age and you look if you remember to put your pants on the mind have a different <laughs> handle for every bloody social media platform that's going on if you enjoyed this show and hope you have then then you know check us out on podbean spotify apple Podcasts, stitcher jesus i tell you what there's that i I can't believe how many podcast things there are out there you know it's unbelievable it's like you know somebody go oh are you on the monkey clam and you're like i don't even know what you're talking about (laughs) you know what i mean and i'm not putting that in my google search (laughs) monkey clam is that a real thing have you just made that up It'll probably be real by the time this comes out, the way the world's moving anyway. <laughs> if, I'm going to go mind, trade I'm going to write monkey clam into Mahoney's. <laughs> I hope you do. <laughs> He's not ordering, uh, you know, a Bushmills at, at, uh, at the bar next time. I'll be very disappointed in you, Rich. <laughs> if you have enjoyed this, then don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcast, whether it's monkey clam or not. And join us again for another episode and we'll continue our Art of Series. So just once again, I'd like to thank both Mark and Rich because, uh, you know, you've been brilliant, guys. And, and again, as I say every week, you know, we just let this kind of go on its own tangent because it's always fascinating listening to people who, you know, are passionate about what they're talking about. So big thank you to you both. Well, it's, cool. Cheers, you, it's been a pleasure. Absolutely. And, uh, and I'm going to leave you with a quote now, because remember when it comes to writing, as Ernest Hemingway said, there's nothing to writing. All you do is sit down at a typewriter and bleed. Thanks for listening. Goodbye. Cheers. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.